Welcome to the Root of the Cause radio show. I'm your host, Dove, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the oral glucose tolerance test, as well as sharing some biohacks you've likely never heard of before relating to fasting, low-carb diets, and exercise hacks as well. I'll also be mentioning some other blood sugar markers and how they relate and compare to the oral glucose tolerance test, and discuss whether there's a cheaper, more efficient, and arguably more accurate alternative test. Hint, the answer is yes. Now, before we get started, I want to first give the disclaimer, please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Root of the Cause podcast is solely informational in nature, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatments that we discuss on the show. Okay, so today I'm going to start by talking about blood sugar in the context of the oral glucose tolerance test. So I'll also be discussing fasting and low-carb diets, as I stated before, and also include the interplay between those strategies and the test itself. So before I get into the test itself, I want to start off by stating that one of my issues with many practitioners, right, particularly relating to glucose dysregulation, is they tend not to gather enough data and rarely test for fasting insulin or C-peptide for that matter. And the problem with that is if you're only measuring fasting glucose and or hemoglobin A1C, you're really missing a huge piece of the blood sugar puzzle, right? So for example, if someone's fasting glucose is say 82, which I would consider to be ideal, yet their fasting insulin is 30, which is significantly higher than optimal, this then changes their health profile entirely, right? This person is clearly having to use a massive amount of insulin to keep their glucose at an ideal level. So just knowing what the glucose number is without knowing how hard the body is having to work to get to what appears to be a healthy level is neglecting a possible future and arguably an inevitable issue that will come about down the road, right? You're just, it's lacking the full context that is needed. So when I see fasting insulin over say five and see peptide much over two, I then look at glucose and now I have a broader context to not just evaluate the glucose, but rather get a deeper insight into the physiology of the person, right? So, you know, for example, if I see someone at say 40% body fat, yet their fasting glucose is ideal, as is their hemoglobin A1C, right? Ideal, perfectly pristine. At that point, I think just sending that person on their merry way and neglecting to dig further to find out at what cost is their body dealing with that blood sugar by way of their insulin status, I think is just not being proactive, right? You're instead waiting for the problem to potentially arise rather than being proactive and getting ahead of it. So while physicians rarely order full blood glucose panels that include fasting insulin or C-peptide, they will occasionally order the oral glucose tolerance test, which gives you a good deal of data to work with. And just as an added point, you know, keep in mind C-peptide, the blood marker C-peptide is released at the same time in the same quantity as insulin only is a far more stable marker, right? This is why I'm a huge fan of C-peptide and tend to recommend its inclusion on every glucose panel. Now, I want to start off by stating I'm not really a huge fan of the oral glucose tolerance test in general for a variety of reasons that I'll get into in a moment. But first, what is the oral glucose tolerance test? 
Now there are actually a variety of ways to perform this test, but I'm gonna lay out the version that I believe to be the one that gathers the most actionable data. So how it works is uh, the lab draws your blood and measures your fasting glucose and fasting insulin at the same time. Now, many physicians just test for glucose, leaving out insulin entirely, which to me is incomplete, right? So they do this to establish what is called a baseline. So then they have you consume 75 grams of a liquid glucose solution, right? Then hour one or one hour later, they take another blood draw and again at hour two and sometimes even hour three as well. Now, again, there are many different ways to approach this test. I'm just giving you what I feel is the preferred one. So you get three glucose readings as well as insulin readings. And the result of this test gives you a really unique insight into how your body handles this glucose load and to what degree, if any, is there a disproportionate insulin surge or perhaps in some cases not enough of an insulin response. Right, you're essentially finding out in real time how the body is handling its glucose by analyzing both glucose and insulin at the same time. So really this test does give you a good amount of useful data to work with, especially if you're also testing for insulin as well. And while insulin is not the most stable marker and you know it does have its issues, and I will concede that C-peptide would be even more ideal, I do think adding insulin is still far more valuable than not including it at all. Now I've shared what appear to be some of the upsides of the oral glucose tolerance test, but I wanna also get into why despite the undeniable value this test can have, that I'm not really a huge fan of the test. So first of all, drinking a liquid glucose solution is in and of itself a bad move for someone who is requiring the need for the test in the first place, right? It's also extremely time consuming, it's costly, it puts undue stress on the person getting tested, right? And that stress alone can stimulate hormones such as cortisol and epinephrine, which can raise glucose and thus give a false reading, right? And another reason is that many people out there, right, particularly those who are listening to or inclined to listening to podcasts such as this one are engaging in some sort of therapeutic weekly fasting routines and or low carb or cyclical low carb ketogenic diets. And when these people take the oral glucose tolerance test, they tend to paradoxically not do well. So let's take someone who found out from their doctor, they're say pre-diabetic and scored poorly on the oral glucose tolerance test, right? They then, let's say, take the next three months engaging in, say, regular fasting and or low-carb diets. Then they retest thinking they'll improve, but instead they actually do worse. And why is this, right? So what happens is when you're eating keto or in a fasted state, right, particularly if it's longer than 24 hours, your muscles actually become insulin resistant. Now, this is counterintuitive, but if you understand the physiology, it does make sense. So we have certain cells in the body, such as in the retina, the red blood cells, and various neurons that have what's called an obligate glucose dependency. So when you have no food coming in in a fasted state or no carbs coming in in a low-carb state, our muscles, which can be fueled by fat, actually become insulin resistant thereby sparing whatever little glucose is available to get preferentially shuttled to these obligate glucose cells that can't be fueled by fat. 
So this doesn't mean that fasting and or the low carb diet that you went on have exacerbated this person's glucose dysregulation. It just means that this test is not going to have an accurate depiction of their current state, right? One would or should introduce around 150 grams of carbs a day, three days prior to the test in order to recondition those glucose dependent cells that there's more glucose coming in and that the muscles can have some too. This is also why it's a bad idea to break a fast with a carb-rich meal, right? Anyone who's done that and tested their blood sugar an hour later will see a number that is way above what they thought was even possible, right? It's better to have a protein and fat-based meal as a primer first, and then the second meal, you're able to introduce carbs if that's what you're wanting to do. Now, while I do recognize the value of the oral glucose tolerance test, one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the test, especially when insulin and or C-peptide are not included, is that you can kind of do your own home version of the test by using a basic over-the-counter glucometer. So you could basically test your own fasting glucose, then eat a meal, then retest an hour post-meal, then at hour two test again, then at hour three again. And this gives you a really good insight into your blood sugar stability or lack thereof, and also gives you a good idea of how well or unwell your first phase insulin response is. And you're able to do this in the privacy of your own home with actual food you'd be consuming anyway, even in the absence of the oral glucose tolerance test, which gives you, a, you know, gives you more of a real life practical blood sugar depiction rather than what I would submit to be a fairly unrealistic one with this 75 grams of liquid sort of non-solid based solution you have to take when doing the test that you likely wouldn't normally consume in your everyday life. Okay, well that about does it for today. I hope this left you with some actionable takeaways. If you like the content on today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review. And with that said, I wanna thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And until next time, take care everyone. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties for guests' qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.